Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. One hundred. <laughs> That's fine. Great, great, great. intro. Love that. <laughs> Welcome to episode three. Whips change brains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit delayed. This one. Yeah, was but... having a low key meltdown for like a week. So it, it happens, girlfriend. It does. It'd be like that sometimes. I'm just gonna sit here and be gentle with myself. Exactly. You are listening to. Lauren. Oh yeah, and Taryn. <laughs> yeah, we have to introduce ourselves. Yeah. Um, welcome. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't welcoming. <laughs> every like the start of every podcast, we just sound like manic people. But because we are. Yeah. It's it's either mania or depression. <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why this one was delayed because otherwise, the first few days this yeah. would have been such a fucking mundane episode. Mm-hmm. Um, today we are going to discuss voyeurism. Mm, rub those hands together. Yeah, so this is, um, a paraphilia that I have written a paper on, so I've done mm-hmm. quite a fair amount of research into it. I have a personal interest in it. Hmm. I, I wonder why. <laughs> so. V uh, interesting. Yeah, V interesting, <laughs> um, which might become may become more obvious throughout or may not you know i'll just let you take yes. make those assumptions for yourself mm-hmm. you just take what you will from this take, take, <laughs> take this information as you please yes do what you would like with it um but it is a paraphilia we were talking about discussing mm-hmm. paraphilias this one is the one that i've got the most knowledge on up mm. to this point yeah. and um i don't really think I would say the behavior is quite well known, but perhaps not like the disorder name itself. Yeah. So give us like a, an overview. Right. So um, voyeurism and voyeuristic disorder are different, obviously. Okay. Well, I suppose maybe not obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Obviously. <laughs> Am I better than everybody else? <laughs> do, do you think people think I'm perfect? Perfect. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, shut the fuck up and tell us what we're is. Oh my god. Okay, so <laughs> I'm like, please watch a hot chick. I don't think I'm perfect. Yeah. That's an inside joke. Yeah, inside joke. Yeah. They're always inside jokes. Okay, so voyeurism, the, the behavior itself, is like um, when you kind of feel turned on by watching somebody else like have sex or mm. undress or just like naked or partaking in sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Voyeuristic disorder differs because it has to be associated with um, like distress or impairment or like pain or suffering to the person or the victim. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of I would say what like most differentiates it. Yeah. Um, but also there's kind of in the disorder like this intensity or um, like really persistent like compulsive thoughts. Compulsive, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of what makes it distressing for the person. Unless, of course, it's... For the person that has the disorder. Yeah, okay. un- unless, of course, it's like comorbid with 
say, a personality disorder where they don't really feel distressed by their behavior because they're, like, narcissistic. I was or, actually, like, a narcissist. Yeah, yeah. or, like, antisocial personality mm. disorder or something like that where they kind of maybe lack a bit more empathy or they don't really feel too distressed from their behavior or thoughts, but then it, they still act on them and cause distress to the victim, and then that still classed as a disorder because somebody is being harmed in this process. Okay. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, a whole other episode in itself narcissistic disorder as well oh yeah but like paraphilic disorders are i would often tied they're always comorbid with something else like often even comorbid with other because comorbid just means uh with another disorder or another illness yeah um so often are also comorbid with other paraphilias like so one paraphilic disorder usually that individual will have multiple paraphilic tendencies of other kinds okay um but often too will have some kind of association with like depression or anxiety Mm. or um, OCD, like obsessive compulsive disorder right? or a personality disorder. You, I would say personality disorders are most common in the forensic setting when you see paraphilic disorders come through. Okay. So like if you were to see like a pedophile come through, there are usually comorbid personality disorders or if somebody was in a forensic setting for voyeuristic disorder it would usually be associated with a personality disorder too because the common human would feel distressed by this kind of thoughts and behavior definitely and so won't necessarily act on it which means that they don't end up in the forensic setting they don't end up going through the legal system for sure because i like i often have thought well like I, I, I have <laughs> fantasies about <clears throat> about maybe like someone watching, like someone walking past the window while me and G Daddy are having sex. Well, that's exhibitionism. So, and that's the other well, side of the coin. I, I wouldn't even say that's exhibitionism. It's just exhibitionistic behavior. So, <laughs> or maybe uh, like thoughts. Okay. Because exhibitionism, like traditionally speaking, would be someone like going into a park and just like flashing them their fucking t- okay. have their dick hanging out and then be like turned on by it. I'm. I would never do that, obviously. No. But I I have definitely had sex in a park before. Yeah, and see, like, what part of that is, like, tr- is, like a I, It's so exciting. That, like, that you, like, maybe I'll get caught. Do you think but it's then the I maybe don't you get be caught, caught? Or exactly, do you actually, like, if you knew someone was, like, behind a tree watching you, would that, like, turn you on? Um, Not if I knew that they were watching me and, like, really enjoying it. Right. It's more like... You want them to be disturbed by <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not like I think it's more just like like I want them to like maybe so say like for like the window for example like if me and G Daddy are having sex in the window or whatever yeah yeah, Um, yeah. and someone walks past like I don't want them to like stop and like start jerking off or anything (laughs) but like I I, like if if they were just like oh shit yeah like I'd be a bit like yeah watch him pound me do you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I don't have no, it's not a disorder. No, 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 no. Okay. So a, a disorder is only a disorder when it is impairing like your life or causing oh. distress. Like okay. if you were having intense fantasies to the point where you started like just displaying yourself naked <laughs> in the window and you're supposed to be like working and there's like a child next door like panicking and you just can't help yourself. That is a disorder. Okay, guys, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm really worried that this is going to start something. 
Yes. Yeah, so do you see the difference? I, I, I definitely see the difference. Because <laughs> I don't need that. Guys, don't watch me do things. No. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but, like, it's so normal to have, like, yeah. some kind of... Even voyeurism, like, the, the behavior is quite normal in the in like teenagers as well like the behavior itself rather than the um well because you're curious yeah so the behavior like in teenage years it's like really normal when you're under the age of 18 to be like Mm. quite curious yeah and so you can't even diagnose voyeuristic disorder under the age of 18 for that reason like people teenagers kind of play in this behavior anyway i remember when we were teenagers and we would be like at a party i remember my friend and her partner literally were in a room like having sex and everyone was like oh my god guys it'd be so funny let's go fucking go around by the window and like watch them like do you know what i mean and there's like 10 teenagers well it's how you learn like like yeah i just think it's 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 really well not learn the curiosity is normal in that those teenage years yeah and even like um there was a study done on university students um, saying like, if you knew that you wouldn't get caught and you could watch somebody undressing in like through a window, like, like say you were like walking past and someone was like nude undressing or partaking in sexual activity, yeah. would you watch if you knew that you wouldn't get caught? And the, the percentage was like 80% or something of people that said if they knew they wouldn't get caught, they would partake. It oh was my God, more common in men than the women. Oh, okay. But yeah. they would they would observe it. Yeah. But then when they were said, okay, well, what what about the chances of being caught? It dropped significantly. Interesting. Because I think it's just like a curiosity thing. Like it's yeah. like, but when it becomes something where I suppose maybe you could be shamed about it, it's all of a sudden like, oh no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So why do these people with this disorder take do that it? risk? Well, I I want to. <clears throat> um, briefly cover on like exhibitionism as well before we go into why because yeah, I feel like, like we're on a bit of a roll here yeah, yeah. they're like <laughs> two sides of one coin and like how you said about like sometimes like you have like fantasies about people like watching yeah which is a common thing there is even um oh my gosh what's it called there is a type of fantasy that a lot of men have where when they feel kind of inadequate and they they fantasize about watching somebody else have sex with their wife Oh, yeah, yeah. What's that called? I can't um, remember. Oh, my gosh. How annoying that we can't remember. I know. I do know it. I had done, like, a research into it. Because sometimes people will go on, like, um, these, like, American sites where yeah. you can, like, hire, like, someone yeah. to come to your house and they sh- turn up in, like, a leather jacket and, like, basically, like, make you watch and, like, then, like, clean up the mess, like, afterwards. And it turns oh. on this, like, this man that feel Because I think there's something about... Cuckolding? S- cuckolding. That's, that's it. <laughs> Yes. yes, yeah. Or cuckolding or something. Yeah. yeah. Because there's something that, um, especially, I mean, all of these behaviors, they come from somewhere. Yeah. So when people have felt like humiliated or inadequate, especially in their younger years, mm. it's really common to sexualize these these feelings of inadequacy or these kind of traumatic yeah. events. It, it gives it a pleasurable thing. But in the exhibitionism, quickly. Yeah. Because I'm like, why do I want that? Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, that's why not do I love doing it in crazy places? But it might be. I'm sure there will be there will be something playing into it. Yeah. But with exhibitionism, traditionally, it's kind of like the other side of the coin of voyeurism. Yeah. Where there are the voyeurism, the people that like to peer through windows and watch, and then the exhibitionism where people like to expose themselves, and there yeah. is the sexual um, gratification that comes from it. Yeah. And there was another part of exhibitionism, which mm-hmm. I found really interesting, Ooh. where um, sometimes a male in particular likes to expose his girlfriend 
or expose images mm. of her, which clearly I found interesting. Yeah. I only read that like two days ago and I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. so th- these kind of, these paraphilic behaviors have got so many different like avenues within themselves. Yeah, it's because, a spectrum. Totally, because even like, so I think there's only eight paraphilic disorders that are kind of logged in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders but there is like infinite different kinds of sexual expression and some of them are quite odd or um, may cause the person distress but these eight are the most prevalent and clinically Mm. and that's why they are they have their own um kind of diagnostic criteria okay but there are yeah there are so many like people I mean, I've even talked to you about, like, my own theories about, um, through, like, sexual, like, um, masochism and stuff, where they're, you know, where, like, through the play, and, like, these people have got, they report having, like, a better quality of life or a better quality in their relationship when they, like, enact this, like, play in their sexual lives where they're, like, dominating each other and and tying each other up and kind of showing the side of aggression. But yeah. 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 So, um, and then, like, I've done a lot of research into, like, the science of, like, childhood emotion Mm. and kind of where these attachment patterns come and the, like, healthy forms of expression and how through play... Uh, it's a really healthy way to express even when like you know when you see parents like telling their kids off for like pretend shooting each other and things like that yeah from the research that i've done through the newfeld institute Mm. there is a research he's done through like play with children where when they're they're doing this it's it's a healthy form of expression and of letting out their maybe their anger or whatever it is in a way that's there's no consequence they're not actually damaging anyone yeah but they're still able to express it so it's not actually displaced in another area where perhaps it it actually does have a a repercussion or a consequence yeah and that's kind of my theory around adult sexual play because it's really interesting to me so i would love to go into that more yeah um but yeah with with the voyeurism it's you enjoy watching and and Mm. in particular when the person doesn't know that you're watching interesting and then the exhibitionism which is often tied in with voyeurism um or is kind of the, the opposing side to it is enjoying exposing yourself or exposing somebody else. Mm. So, and then of course it only becomes a disorder when you can't control it or the behavior is compulsive or um, just really intense, the thoughts. Yeah. Um, and like we had discussed too, even like the, the like porn and things, like do people that partake in porn, do they, are they, they exhibitionists? Do they right. like showing themselves? Does that turn them on to expose themselves in that way? I would say that's probably how a lot of porn stars like get, get into started. it. Yeah, because but then they would. You could also go into like the voyeurism of, of watching, but then it's different because the people know that you're watching. Exactly. So there's like, what's the, and, there, and I think that's, there's also yeah. there's not the intensity behind it as yeah. well like the compulsion i mean i know a lot of people have like sex addictions and yeah. um especially like there is i've even done research on like emerging online sexual behaviors yeah where a lot of these paraphilic tendencies people are moving online because it's easier to kind of get around the law yeah there's a lot of that's like, what i was about to say yeah like because porn people know that the people obviously the people in that video you're watching know that they're being video exactly it's and that's why someone that maybe has this disorder wouldn't use those images yeah because that person knows that they're being used. it's it's not the same yeah. kind of whereas like 
you and can take someone else's images. Exactly. Or yeah. you can watch someone else and they don't know that it's yeah. you watching. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So um, you had said like what causes this kind of like behavior, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, mainly uh, like I was kind of freaking out that I had some sort of disorder. But no, <laughs> no, definitely not. Like that's the thing. It's so normal. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone has fant- fantasies of, of some, some kind of sexual thing. Oh, yeah. I've got some (laughs) i've got a few yeah i have some (laughs) they're very normal tame well that's the thing i think fantasies in general i mean some people have like fantasies where they they pretend that they're like a baby and they wear like diapers and oh my gosh like on broad city oh my god yeah (laughs) i don't have many exactly (laughs) like there are there are but that's the thing if it's if it's being reenacted or not reenacted but enacted in in play of some kind it's not harming anyone that's not a disorder that's fine like some people people might dress up as like the furry thing yeah that's another thing i know like some i mean some people might think it's weird but it's not actually abnormal yeah and also like who are we to judge exactly if they're if they're doing something where it's not harming anyone and they find it pleasurable then that's totally fine and safe and okay it only becomes an issue when it's causing distress or harm yeah yeah um so i mean with all paraphilias in general like the there are some of them have like biological factors like i know with pedophilia they've kind of really put it down to like testosterone Mm. but then so all the treatments like come into really minimizing or like castrating them and minimizing the testosterone, which has its whole own other array of problems. Um, but with a lot of other paraphilias, there are usually more prominent like psychosocial factors. Mm -hmm. So often, I mean, it's not really, there's nothing definitive because there's such a lack of research in this area. Yeah. What would one of those factors be? Um, so like the most kind of common themes that surround the, the etiology or origin of paraphilic behavior. Mm. Like I know with voyeuristic disorder, the one that I had looked into, Mm. um, the common theme is like disordered childhood relationships. Yeah. So, or childhood trauma, whether it's sexual or emotional or physical, um, but it's just seems to be the most common theme. Yeah. I think too, like even having a poor attachments to your parents yeah. or having an absent father or a very aggressive father, there are correlations as well. Yeah. But it just creates this, like the sense of loneliness. If there has been a trauma, especially a sexual trauma, um, there is like a different view of the world. I mean, both you and totally. I know that the yeah. way that you interact with people after the fact is so the, the level of trust is just diminished. This is like the hardest thing to think about because, and this is why, like, I think people with these disorders, like we're just trying to normalize not having this disorder, but seeking help for it because yeah, like we know, like, I absolutely know firsthand how traumatic it can be to like experience a sexual assault Mm -hmm. as an adult. Mm -hmm. What it did to me is I can't even imagine being a child and having to do that. Yeah. That's really awful. It fucks up your whole life. And that's the thing too. Like Like these people weren't born this way. No. Like I mean. They were created. Exactly. Like I I mean. They made some wrong decisions maybe. There are arguments into like some of the biological factors Mm. through being like born a certain way. Mm. But yeah, oftentimes it's through these early childhood experiences. And I think that's what creates for me like when it comes to 
kind of studying these things, Mm. I genuinely find a lot of empathy for these people. And I understand that kind of in society, there is like this stigma of like, especially when you look at pedophiles and things, like how dare you do that to a child, which don't get me wrong. I'm not disregarding the child at all. But it's it's sad too when you look at the person suffering it, especially because oftentimes they find their own behavioral thoughts so distressing. Yeah. And I think when it comes to these other forms of paraphilia, where it's just kind of these abnormal sexual interests um, that are so intense and yeah. persistent, it's it comes from such a broken place, like such a broken childhood. And these disordered coping mechanisms and trying to make sense of the situation, mm. oftentimes reenacting trauma. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really sad. Like it, is really it, sad. it really is really sad. So yeah, so the, usually there there is a common theme of disordered childhood relationships, childhood trauma in particular, yeah, sexual trauma mm. or intense like humiliation. Yeah. Um, that also, man, it just really hurts me to think of that. Yeah. And then, well, that's the thing, because these are children at the time, yeah. that, that, and then they grow into this, you right. know? Yeah. And then there is also... also because they have this, like, really dysfunctional family. They don't feel like they can go to anyone. So it just, like, literally... Exactly. Ends up, like, festering. Exactly. And becoming this really ugly thing. Exactly. I think, well, that's the thing, too, because there is also this common theme of the, the disordered relationship with the parents. Yeah. Um, I mean, not always, but definitely it's a factor um, that has been studied. And then there's just, there's, there's so many, the childhood factors I think are just so significant. And I think it doesn't just translate to like paraphilias. It also translates to like all mental health. Yeah. Like I, I think this is kind of where my interest in studying like childhood emotion has come from Mm. because I feel like people really struggle to understand even just depression and anxiety and where these these what would be considered abnormal like feelings come from and I feel like they're so hard to treat like you know you look at the how much medication is prescribed these days yet it hasn't at all reduced the prevalence of these mental health problems and I just think it's would not surprise me at all if the link is just solely to these childhood relationships or mm. traumatic events in somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too like you don't have to have significant trauma in your childhood to have nah, these issues. That's it can the other thing. Yeah, it can just be the, what someone would consider significant. Yeah, like it's it can just, be really insignificant too. Yeah, it's just the the lack of of understanding how to guide a child through their intense emotions, yeah. and they develop these really poor coping mechanisms yeah. for how to express that. Especially if it's not socially acceptable, then mm. they get there's shame around it too. And coming back to the paraphilias, like people that feel this way often don't seek help because they feel shameful about it yeah. or because of the social stigma yeah. which also just adds to the problem like exactly how if there is such a stigma in society about this kind of i don't want to say behavior cuz you know when it comes to hurting other people the behavior's not okay yeah but the the thoughts themselves or the distress that's causing the person themselves to even feel that they are thinking or feeling these things they feel so shameful about it that they don't seek help and Mm. there is such a stigma out there that oftentimes there's not really much information on how to give these people help and i mean there there is even stigma among clinicians in this area so yeah that's that's where that the fear comes from of doing anything like even 
in regard to them being studied, they're usually only really studied in a forensic setting because people don't come forward. Yeah. So... I think, I mean, that's half the reason that, like, we want to do this podcast anyway, is to really normalize talking about these things, and... Yeah, just talking about how you're feeling in general. Yeah, I think if you feel any way, it's okay. If if it's causing you distress or you're worried about harming someone else, I think it's so important to seek help, but you shouldn't feel shameful for the way you're thinking or feeling, because at the end of the day... If you can recognize it and you want to do something about it, that makes you a good person, not yes, a bad person. Totally. It's the people that recognize that it's causing harm and distress and yeah. are ignoring it. Yeah, that's and the problem. Like keeping it these things a secret because it's wrong. Yeah. So they have to keep it a secret. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. No, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, so mm, interesting. Manifesting throughout the life, these like behaviors so if someone say for example has had some kind of trauma in childhood especially if it's significant like um really intense humiliation or say sexual abuse or something like that Mm -hmm. getting older it's really it's common to reenact the trauma Mm. so some people will like partake in the same kind of behavior trying to make sense of it whether they do the same thing that maybe their attacker did or they reenact it in other ways by kind of partaking in similar situa- sexual situations. Mm. Um, usually people even dissociate through it too. So they won't even necessarily know why they they feel drawn to this kind of thing, but they still feel this intense draw to it and they yeah. keep partaking in it, even though they might not even find it pleasurable. There is also um, like, there so there is like that sexual side but Mm. also there is the sense of trying to make sense of it or trying to find pleasure in such a painful situation or gain control over if if it's something that they felt that they kind of lost all control over and don't have any control it's really common to then fantasize about gaining control of that situation where maybe the roles are changed and they are the one that is basically doing what was done to them in one way shape or form they're like sexualizing it so that it feels good yeah so oftentimes people will sexualize it so it feels good if they are still kind of playing that that victim in the situation yeah where they're just trying to make sense of it so they might go and partake in the behavior but they are still playing that same role where where they were the one that was victimized interesting okay but sometimes there is this fantasy of changing the role to gain that control control and that domination and that's where sometimes um, you see these behaviors turn like when you when there are certain serial killers that have been studied mm. that it's it com- always comes down to that control yeah. controlling and dominating their victim yes. to change their own narrative to gain control of their own narrative um, that's where the aggression and the, the those more dangerous ones come in yeah like I always use this serial killer as an example like he was I can't remember what his name is probably doesn't matter in the end but um he when he was like five or six or seven I don't know young he was walking around in his mum's high heels oh yeah you've told me about this guy and he was like severely told off for it and like humiliated Mm -hmm. over it by his mother because she was not a nice person Mm -hmm. and then he ended up sexualizing females shoes Mm -hmm. because of that experience like he like he like knew in that instant because it's because he was like, I'm not allowed to do this. It's wrong. Yeah. So he had to sexualize it. And then he ended up killing a bunch of people and then cutting off their feet and yeah. like masturbating over their feet that yeah. he would keep in the freezer. Yeah. Like, do you know what? Like, 
yeah like, this this thing can be like actually like a really it intense moment for that plants child. a seed mm-hmm. i think as well for him it would have just been associated with that intense humiliation yes. which is where the because she like i think she even made him like go outside and like like it was really bad yeah 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 there is there there's like the, a dog there like. is yeah there are so many that's the thing too like how I said there, there's often disorders that are comorbid. Yeah. So when you see specific people and you're kind of trying to make sense of them, it's never just one easy flow, like step by step. Yeah. There are always other aspects and usually other comorbid disorders, which have their own symptoms and their own, um, way that they kind of present themselves and everything gets mixed up together. And it's, yeah, it's never just one thing. And I think that's what makes it so complicated to understand. Totally. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing with psychology. Like, one small thing can happen, but if it's significant enough, it can change the course of that child's life or that so person's interesting. life. Yeah. And so they're through like people either reenacting their trauma, whether they're doing it to dominate the, and take control or whether maybe they're still the victim and trying to make sense of the situation mm. is common. Um, but also when this, when these kinds of behaviors like voyeurism, for example, becomes a disorder, and these thoughts become really intense and um, repetitive and just like constant, really. Oftentimes people feel distressed, but they still act on it in some way to try and... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The thoughts. So like with OCD, for example, with obsessive compulsive disorder, Mm. which is often linked with like voyeurism and other paraphilias. Interesting. Um, people feel this intense compulsion like they haven't completed something so like I remember there was this movie where um, I think it was Jack Nicholson and he had to like switch the light switch on and off like 10 times before he felt like satisfied that he had like switched it off or lock the door or whatever and it's because I mean like I I have have this where I will lock yeah I know you're (laughs) laughing at me because you always tell me I'm OCD but like I'll lock the doors and then I know I've locked them but I just feel like I still need to check it and I don't feel satisfied until I go around and check them again. Yeah. And you also (laughs) arrange your fruit and vegetables by color and like, (laughs) and the bananas have to be facing the right way up. (laughs) No, it's just they bruise otherwise. (laughs) Okay, babe. (laughs) But it's, it's, it's to get rid of the, the intense the, the like, thoughts, yeah. the intrusive the, thoughts. I was about to say an intrusive thought. Because yeah. they become intrusive and really distressing. And yeah. so it's like, well, if I just if I just go do it again and make sure it's done, then it just alleviates the the intrusive thought and I yeah. feel better about it. Yeah. And that's where but then obviously it becomes a problem when yeah, it starts inter- interfering with your life, which is where the like obsessive compulsive disorder becomes a disorder as well. Right, right. Um but so, I mean, I'm sure so many people can relate to something where there is just like, they just can't stop thinking about it until they just do it and then it's done. Yeah. But so if you're thinking about this being like intrusive sexual thoughts, like wanting to observe people, for example. Yeah. Then pe- these people like feel so intense about it that they have to act on it or 
they might act on it in a way say like from their home or something if they're doing something online or maybe they do go and peer through someone's window whatever it is Mm. but the point is to masturbate to try and reach uh, orgasm to then alleviate that distress and make it go away yeah but the problem with this is it's just like a loophole because every time you reach orgasm it conditions the behavior exactly that's what i was actually like you're basically just like telling yourself that this is a good thing yeah because you're sexualizing it It, like it it reinforces the behavior so people feel distressed and they either masturbate to try and make it go away Mm -hmm. this intrusive thoughts go away Mm -hmm. which then reinforces the behavior Mm -hmm. and they and it it escalates it escalates it becomes more prevalent the thoughts become more common yeah or sometimes they resist it altogether and just Mm. try to ignore it but that's like when you go on a diet and you try not to eat something and then all of a sudden you binge on it because the the intensity of missing out on it so then there is that factor as well there has been like some research there i remember there was a study it was like in the 80s of um trying to kind of recondition yourself through orgasm. Mm. So there was a man who was feeling really distressed by his voyeuristic tendencies and behavior. And he had gone to um, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something. And they had suggested that he use is an image of, um, I'm not sure what it would have been of actually, because he, he was displaying voyeurism. So, Mm. but it was an image. He wasn't standing outside someone's window. Yeah. Um, And basically, like, jack off to it. Yeah. And then when he's about to reach orgasm, move his focus onto the thing he's trying to change or recondition his behavior into. Interesting. And he did it. And after, I think, about six months or something, he, there was, it was reported that he had, was in basically remission of this behavior. Wow. But then there, I suppose the more common or I wouldn't say more common the more recent studies have shown treating the OCD the obsessive compulsive disorder with Mm. medication or Mm -hmm. pharmacological therapy um, to try and kind of reduce the intensity of the intrusive thoughts okay but there is still such a lack of research and therefore a lack of really truly understanding how to treat it yeah and I think too like when something becomes part of someone's core sexual script you can never change that yeah. like yeah i know that there are and i remember reading this book about um men who would partake like like have sex with men that thought that they were straight oh my god and they were like married and things and they would find like the behavior distressing and they couldn't understand why they were behaving in it and they had gone to this um, psychiatrist who this was kind of like his specialty mm. and um the book is super interesting and he basically majority of these people had childhood sexual trauma mm. and they were reenacting their trauma yeah and oftentimes they didn't even know why they were reenacting their trauma like they they didn't they they kind of felt this like intense need to have sex with a man or or partake with a man in some way mm. but didn't know why like they weren't even finding it pleasurable oftentimes they would go and do it and feel quite disgusted with themselves afterward but then find themselves back there again like a week later yeah and oftentimes too some of them were dissociating or depersonalizing and weren't even grouping it together with the fact that they had a wife or and children at home or you know and and yeah i know and so they were seeing this guy and he was realizing that they were reenacting their trauma And they obviously, like, they had identified as straight. And some of them were 
curious like asking him if they if they if does he think that they're gay or are they are they are they just not accepting their sexuality Mm. and I mean there were some instances with these people that had come to them where he had realized you know they were bisexual or they were gay yeah um but oftentimes too like and which is commonly known usually the ones that were gay were not open to the fact of them being gay they were really homophobic or resistant of being gay which is I mean, I know that that's just, like, common knowledge. Usually yeah. men that are super homophobic, there's some kind of lack of integration there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whether it's just maybe they're not gay completely, but even if there's some kind of curiosity there and they yeah. don't want to admit it to themselves. True. Um, but basically, majority of these people that he was reporting about were straight. Yeah. And often they were saying, you know, if, if I'm gay, just help me find that I'm gay and let me be happy in my life. Like, they felt so conflicted within themselves, not understanding why they felt this intense compulsion to engage in this kind of behavior. But they weren't even finding it pleasurable, but they couldn't help the intensity of keeping going back and, and keeping on partaking in it. Yeah. But then oftentimes they had a wife or they... They had a girlfriend, or I remember the reading about this one guy who had just got engaged, and it wasn't until he got engaged that he thought, holy fuck, what about this dude? Yeah. That he hadn't even pieced together that it was like he was cheating the yeah. whole time. Oh my god! I know, because it, it's such a s- separate part of themselves. I remember this doctor saying that um, you could really tell that it was like trauma reenactment when this part of them was like a whole, it just didn't fit in with the rest of who they were as a person. Yeah. Like it was a completely separate entity of themselves yeah. that was not integrated at all and basically so what he, they were saying is like you know these men were wanting help whether it was admitting to themselves their sexuality mm. or um, moving through what the problem was and oftentimes when they were able to see that they were reenacting their trauma where it was coming from it kind of reduced the intensity of the the intrusive thoughts or the behavior but it, it never could make it fully go away because yeah. it, now it's a part of their core sexual script. They've yeah. reached orgasm over it so many times. There is the sexual um, attraction there now in some way, shape or form. Yet these men were still identifying as straight. They don't, they, there was nothing about it where they wanted to wake up in the morning next to fucking stubble or, yeah. you know, yeah. spend their life or have children with that. That's not what it was, but they could not help now having this, some kind of sexual script or sexual I don't even want to say attraction but just urge yeah urge because Mm -hmm. of this intensity to reenact the trauma yeah wow and I think too like stepping out of like the sexual realm for a minute yeah and like how you and I I mean we've gone through a post process of kind of understanding or to some extent our behavior and and our own um relationship dynamics and reenacting trauma of our own and things like that we do what we do and becoming aware allowing us to it not to have so much control over us yes it honestly like it's such a game changer exactly but it doesn't change the triggers or the intensity or the emotion that's there but it helps you to deal with it but it it helps you to recognize oh i know where that's coming from and i actually don't want to partake in that because i know it's not going to make me feel good right so it's it's the same thing but i think because it's sexual there is such a stigma around it and i think too like we've also talked about you know, I mean, when women identify as bisexual, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, they're just straight and they want to have fun. And when a man identifies yeah. as bisexual, it's, oh, he's just denying that he's gay. Which is something that makes me really mad. I know. And, like, why? Why? But, exactly. Like, but, why can't... Like, it's such a, it's a, it's such a spectrum. Yeah. Like, 
and so fluid so exactly and then you look at these these traumatic reenactments that involve sexual activity mm. which it's not just um these ones with like sexual abuse there are also women that have been sexually assaulted that reenact their behavior sexually yeah. there are also women i'm sure also men or they haven't done much research into it that have not sexual trauma but other kinds of trauma and they still reenact it sexually yeah but it's really common to express or sexualize these really deep painful parts because it yeah. creates a pleasurable response out of it well like this just makes me think of like me pre being more self-aware and mm. being in relationships that were really chaotic yeah it's like i was driven to them like, yeah it's like you need the ups and downs yeah and like i, I mean we've said the this cortisol before, but yeah. like it's like the chaos is like what drives you in the relationship and then the sex it feels is like, like chemistry like, exactly but yeah. it's not no like at all yeah, exactly uh, and i just think that that's a really interesting relationship well, dynamic but the, it's it's all related yeah and that's the thing and yeah like how you said about um, and then there is that intensity in the sexual experience with these partners. Yeah. That's why. It's, it's it, exactly yeah. like you're, you're reconditioning yourself to just keep being with this person that you yeah. actually shouldn't be with. Yeah. Like, and, and like, I, I, it's I've what, like always struggled with something to do it with that until recently. Now, yeah. It's yeah. like where that, that whole term like makeup sex comes from. Exactly. Where it's Which like, just so ridiculous. They have these, like, or like the, the partner will, or maybe both of them will instigate these intense fights and then yes. they have this intense sex afterwards, which makes it feel so much better. Yeah. Because it's like these really intense emotions, but mm-hmm. they're actually just triggers from your like trauma Earlier, that you're yes. acting out. Yeah. Like, and yeah. so, and then it's really common to play that out through the sexual experience to make it pleasurable in exactly. some way. And then you see like, like going back to voyeurism, whether it's childhood, disordered childhood relationships, sexual relationships, whatever it is, mm. these people find the sense of control over observing it and they sexualize the experience, whether mm. they're sexualizing, feeling humiliated or inadequate or... Um, having a lack of closeness with their parents and therefore they don't have the the understanding or the connection to to court like there there was even like theories and just disordered courting these people don't know how to have interpersonal relationships they want to partake in this relationship with this woman because nine times out of ten voyeurism is in men they they want to have this relationship with this woman Mm. But they don't know how to go about it, so instead they observe, they stalk, they watch her through her window, Ooh. and 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 play it out in their head that way. Yeah. And sometimes too, there there is a fear there where they feel like there's some kind of rejection, or mm. they won't they won't be good enough. So, or there is the fear to actually partake in it in real life, so they just observe it anyway. There's this barrier between it because of the fear to partake Mm. whether they're yeah whether they're watching a man or a woman or reenacting trauma or reenacting um or like self-medicating the humiliation or whatever it is self-medicating the the disordered relationships the lack of connection the loneliness there are so many different aspects that it can be looked at but they all come from some kind of disordered relationship or some kind of traumatic experience yeah which is like that's all of us just yeah. on a way less intense scale. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like it, it, you have to understand too, because this kind of behavior usually starts to surface in teenage years, Yeah. but you can't, uh, you can't diagnose it that young. Yeah. But as it starts surfacing in teenage years, and I think everyone knows too, in their teenage years, like everyone partakes in kind of 
different or weird behavior through these years that maybe they wouldn't do now or they they would think about now and understand the consequence of it Mm. but through these years I mean if you don't really if you lack these interpersonal relationships and you're developing these poor coping mechanisms or these poor ways of trying to make sense of your pain or um, take pleasure out of your pain or take control of your pain or whatever it is mm. and it's working for you and you keep doing it and it keeps conditioning itself and it keeps reinforcing itself yeah. by the time that you're an adult that behavior is like set now like yeah. it's yeah. so much harder to correct yeah and so yeah I mean everyone have has triggers most people and most people have um, perhaps learned coping mechanisms for their emotions yeah but if it, I mean, you see just like one wrong turn or one step taken, and if that route's taken, it can turn into these behaviors, and then these people can become so distressed and they can't get on top of it. Yeah. And it just takes over their whole life. I can't even imagine. Like, imagine if my, like, imagine if my, like, sexual fantasies, like, doing it in random places, like, was, like, just such an over- urge that I, like, had to make G Daddy, like, come with me outside. Like, like it, we couldn't even do it in the bed anymore. Like, and imagine if it was distressing you imagine. at the same time. Imagine if you were aware enough to know that it was not okay and it wasn't normal and it was causing you so much distress, but you could not help the intensity of the feeling that you kept doing it. Yeah, I can't, like, that would be so upsetting. Exactly. And then imagine if I didn't have anyone that I felt like I could speak to about it. Exactly. Like, that's even worse. And then you ruminate it in your own head. Yes. And then it just gets worse and worse and continues and continues yeah but thankfully i have you and a whole a whole podcast for people to listen to (laughs) to listen to my problems listen to my weird things (laughs) but that's that's exactly right like and that's that's why i have i suppose um this like sympathy and empathy because yeah i feel like it it actually is really sad it is it's genuinely sad like i mean yeah it's sad as long as the person doesn't actually end up harm anyone yeah and they I think make the right choices and getting help when 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 you're a, I mean like if you're aware which nine times out of ten if you're behaving this way most people know it's not okay yeah that's where it's like okay well just you, you need to take the step to seek help you need to not feel so shameful about your behavior because yeah. at the end of the day and what's more important right people yeah I think that's important too because if you, I think too because of the stigma and perhaps the lack of research finding the wrong person can then also make the situation worse. If someone feels really fearful to seek help and they seek help and then they're kind of met with this response that's Mm. not supportive or helpful in any way, they're not going to keep seeking help. If it's already such a, so difficult to take that step and do that, then yeah. So I think you really need to do the research on who who to to seek help from. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But this is also why I have such an interest in this area because I feel like just like sex psychology in general, especially in New Zealand, there's, it's not very prevalent. I would say, I don't, it's like, I, I know that there's like one body in New Zealand that, um, for like sexual therapists, Mm. but there's no like university, like papers on it or anything you have to like it would be like a thesis research where you would go and do the research yourself that would be so interesting i really like yeah i definitely think that there's a lack of that yeah understanding here and just like such an interesting area there was something else i was going to go into with um where sexual sort of because we've gone on so many tangents and rants that's actually like we've just talked about kind of like paraphilias in general but (laughs) and like reenacting trauma in general when i was going into like the etiology of it but like um 
I had talked about like, yeah, like the disordered childhood relationships and the, you know, peering through people's windows and Mm. watching them and reaching orgasm and it conditioning the behavior or reinforcing it. Um, the distress obviously as well that it often causes or causes the other person. I covered the treatment. Maybe I did talk about everything I wanted to talk about in regard to it. Yeah. I felt like there was something I thought of before and then I, I just, just like forgot again. <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> just popped in and it's popped straight out. Honestly, it happens to me constantly. I know. Sometimes I start talking and then before I've finished talking, I've forgotten what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, me too. Like start at the sentence, got to the end of the sentence or the middle of the sentence and I forgot what the beginning was. Same. Now I don't know how to finish it off. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool. Great. I want like, I'm, I'm so curious. Now I'm definitely going to, after this, go and think about why... I do the things that I do. I have mm-hmm. the like the thoughts that I have yeah. about like someone because I'm like. But you can't change. You can't change what it is that no. That but I'm just curious. Your turns you're on. Like, I'm just saying. And I also it, don't it, care. It, it probably like, comes from somewhere. Yeah. Like I'm very happy with my sex life. Mm-hmm. So like I'm like it's very normal, everyone. Mm-hmm. But like I'm still like I'm just curious, just so that I can like. Understand. Think about it, you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, and even I think it's just healthy to like it's like like the the um I think the only paraphilia that is more common in women than men is the sexual uh, masochism, yeah, where they like to be because the woman likes to be dominated yeah, or tied up or mm-hmm. humiliated or in, like inflicted pain, pain sure, um, but. I think it's funny because I mean if you look historically, women are always you know, minimized by men and like, yeah. I mean, obviously it's getting better, but they, they didn't have control and yet they've sexualized this. It's yes. This is the only common or the, the only paraphilia that is more common in women is one where they are made to feel humiliated by a man yeah. or made inferior by a man. Well, but like, I, I also like, cause I consider myself a feminist. Like yeah. I also completely understand that. Like, yeah. Of course, we're gonna to have to sexualize it. Like, what else do we have? Yeah, like, yeah. like you know. But also, I think. But it, it creates the pleasure response for something that might have been distressing or exactly. painful otherwise. Because it is. But society has just made us kind of forget that. Yeah, like it is distressing and painful. Yeah, always being undermined by men. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but especially in what like my role at work, yeah. I feel like I'm always really like kind of giving direction and having to like step up and yeah like really fight for my place yeah but then in the bedroom <laughs> I'm the opposite I'm yeah. like do me like take yeah. control yeah. of me for once yeah like yeah. yeah yeah and that's why but otherwise I don't think I would like it yeah that's interesting to think about it is because I think you I mean yeah I'm sure some people want to have a release in the bedroom that's perhaps the opposite of their life experience and then some also pleasurize their painful life experiences through their sexual experiences and have this intense attraction to it that way and some people like to kind of play around in general with all these different things which i think is more common for you and i yeah (laughs) i was like i mean that's me too yeah (laughs) exactly so i think i mean i don't think there's like a one size fits all but there is definitely these kind of just sexual scripts that become more ingrained due to these um intense emotional experiences in life yeah. with especially negative experiences yeah whether it's 
because of the intensity and it's just kind of finding making sense of it or taking control Mm. or whether it's pleasurizing the experience or whatever it is yeah but it's just it's really common that it it's reenacted some way in a sexual way Mm. and i mean people reenacted in other ways too it's why you see these really aggressive fucking people that just lose their shit and you know whatever (laughs) ah yes yeah absolutely but it's not uncommon to for it to be reenacted sexually and i think the I mean, that's why we like talking about sexual stuff because no one does. And so people don't understand and they see these really odd behaviors mm. and they're like, have so much to say about it or so much judgment around it. But actually it just like any significant disordered behavior or abnormal behavior, there is a reason for it. Yeah. It comes from somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's like our key point of doing the podcast. Yeah. Right? Like hoping that people just understand better and are like more open to talk about or it take the time to sit back and th- and not necessarily make an immediate judgment yeah and i think it all ties in like especially sexual things they all like it ties into your relationships and that's yeah. super interesting yes and... because like how we were talking about last week you know if you're if you've got a boyfriend that wants to be pegged <laughs> or wants to give it a crack you know what i mean yeah. and, and not feeling immediately judgmental exactly about that. like yeah. like having the capacity to actually Think about just it. think about it and be like hey you know that's normal yeah to have these like sexual thoughts and yeah that's fine yeah 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 um do you want to hear the craziest place that i've yes had sex of course <laughs> oh my god i realized yeah you were like i uh, you literally like touched on this i think yesterday and then you were like no i'm gonna save it for the podcast <laughs> and i'm like when, i completely forgot but then i was thinking about it this morning in the shower and i like don't want to say in case the place is like tries to sue me or something Nah, that, that won't happen. happen. Nah, they can't prove it. True. Well, this is not an admission of guilt. This is not an, like hypothetically. <laughs> if I were hypothetically gonna have had yeah sex, sex in this hypothetical place, okay, tell me where it was. Um, in the Skyline Gondola in Queenstown. Oh no, you did. You have told you've told me that because I was like, did you use a condom? You said no, and I'm like, how Ew. how did you walk out and leave? Well, because it was, like, on our way home. You so we were all going back down the mountain. Clenching your legs Genuinely, I was. as you're waddling. I was. Um, <laughs> I can't do that. I was wearing pants, and I had to pull my pants down a little bit. Well, obviously. Yeah, but sometimes <sighs> I'll go somewhere and, like, I'll wear a dress and uh, anyway. But. Right. I can't even. I couldn't even. Like, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't retain that inside of me in a public <laughs> place. <laughs> yeah, it was honestly, like... Got in the car, yeah. Got in the car, got back, and I like immediately had a shower. And yeah, but you know me, I'm like I am like I need to shower. I was pretty proud of that, but I'm also like mm-hmm. you. You you said you've had sex in public heaps of times, there. So much, so much. <laughs> I reckon it would be honestly so common. I've had sex in public. Oh yeah, I've done it up the top of the mount. Like yeah, I've done it at the mount. <laughs> <laughs> done um i had i did it at um universal studios not on a ride or anything but <laughs> what <laughs> i just realized what universal studios was the theme park yes <laughs> oh my god lauren there's so many children around okay well we didn't do it in front of the children taryn <laughs> I'm, I'm appalled <laughs> it was a private it was a handicapped bathroom Oh, oh yeah, I've done it in a handicap bathroom. Oh, you got to. <laughs> it's just right at passage. 
Uh, yeah. Speaking of orgasms. Oh, yeah. Next week. Yeah. We talk female orgasms. Orgasms, baby. <laughs> because we've had, well, we've had some people tell us, and mm. then also I just know of other people, well, women, mm. that have not orgasmed or were like in their like late or mid 20s before they ever had one i nearly had collapsed had chil- when i heard that had had children before they had had i think i had my first orgasm when i was like eight it's genuinely same and we were talking about this the other day do we want to share like, it already i was literally like going up those do you remember those like metal bars that like you had to like, pull yourself up oh yeah totally at primary school and oh my god and it it's was, like it uh, happened and i was this? like what just happened i thought i like pissed myself yeah yeah but it was so great i <laughs> I'm trying to think about the first time that it happened. I can't. Anyway, but we'll save it for the. Anyway, yeah. We'll yeah. save it for the next episode. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so get ready. And like, if you're a man listening, hey, we can give you some pointers too. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I've got some great, um, great tips. Some great childhood stories. Because after that, I, I mean, I kept oh, making sure it happened. Me too. Because <laughs> mine happened on accident the first time Same. too. Yeah. And then I just was like a fiend for it. Yeah. It's like a drug addiction. Yeah. An orgasm addiction for children. It's so bad that we were so young. I genuinely would have probably been like eight. It's not bad. No. I, okay. See, I'm I'm doing it. I'm I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm perpetuating this stigma that it's a bad thing. It's Around not. like eight or nine, it's, Rape really, culture. it's really common for um, children to get curious about like their body. And, and it, it's they can have these kind of yeah. orgasms and feelings at a really young age. Usually girls over boys, I think. Yeah. But still... I think it's it's important to talk about because so many people have children and if mm. they saw their kids doing something like that, oftentimes they would tell them off. And yeah. it's like, hey, they're just it's, exploring their body. They don't fine. know any different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, look at me and my journey that I'm on. I feel like next week will be a funny one. Today's like we're talking about like these intense, like yeah. serious things. But hopefully that gave some... Some insight some clarity. into some people's behaviors. <laughs> We think we're so funny. Don't sue us. Okay, bye. Okay, keep keep it real. Wait, what do I always say? Peace out. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.